0: Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams, and our weekly newsletter, with money off books and museum visits as well, plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash Ways. Hola. Hello. This call
1: is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do.
0: Achtung, Achtung, welcome to We Have Ways of Making Your Talk with me, Al Murray, James Holland. Welcome new listeners, welcome the old and bold, the independent company. Uh old <laughs> Old We Have Ways listeners don't grow old, do they, Jim? Uh, nor do they no. fade away, it would seem because No. It's really rather nice. You're all still listening. Thank you. Um now, should we just catch up? Because I've been rushing around like the perennial blue assed insect and God,
1: have you ever? You've been oh crossing God. continents, you've been yeah. going up and down to Brum. Yeah. Yeah, and spending every stage, show. it's going. It's going
0: well. It is going well. We had, we've had some. Uh, we had a stupendous review in the Telegraph. Yeah, I saw that. It was great. There's something very yeah. nice when you when you make something and the reviewer completely gets it. They get it. They get what you're trying to do. They see how you've gone about it and they say you've yep. got it right. And there's just something about that which is very very gratifying. And we, um, the houses have been completely into it. And there's been something really thrilling about sitting in a theatre and watching. Something you know that I've I've been part of creating, um, yeah, I'm play sure. itself out. It's it's the most it's the most extraordinary experience.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and you had, and you've had a little break in. Um, and we went to Tenerife.
0: We went to Tenerife, and I got told off at the at the lunch table. Put that phone away because I basically I'd started looking up. I wanted to know what. The history of the Canary Islands is, of course, you do, you know. And I'm going, oh, you! How many people do you Nelsonian think Nelsonian heroics? Of course. Well, well, yes, of course. And that's it's that thing, where he loses you know. his arm, isn't it? It's, it's where he loses his arm. Yes, exactly. Um, and, you know, we've all had heavy weekends on Tenerife, but, that, I mean, that's the...
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's taking it to a whole it's new level.
0: A whole new Nelsonian level. Um, but, yes, uh, and then, yeah, and I've been rushing about. But what, I mean, the the, the um and I saw the Colonel at the weekend, who's uh, very chirpy. Um, Good. But I read the Sean McMeekin book that yes. John McManus recommended to us. I've now got it. Stalin's War. Yep. And I recommend, I commend that to our listeners. If we would do, I think we do a book of the month on the Patreon. I will be recommending that for every remaining month of the year. I think it's the most, it's the And, most... and
1: the bit I was particularly interested in was section four, mm. which yeah. was something like sort of going to bed with the capitalists or something like that.
0: Yeah. He basically says, you know, if anyone wants, if, if there's any one player in, in, in Europe who wants the second world war to pan out the way it does. It's Joe Stalin, and he plays everyone like a fiddle. So he gets yep. what he wants out of Hitler, which is yep. a non-aggression pact. He gets what he wants out of Churchill when the moment comes. He gets what he wants out of um, Roosevelt. Out, out of Roosevelt, And it's only really Truman in the end who sort of goes, hang on a minute, you know, um, yeah. this is all a bit weird.
1: I know, let's have a Cold War instead. Exactly. And he gets what
0: he wants out of Mao and, and uh, Chiang Kai-shek. You know, uh, uh, and the Kuomintang. So it's the it's the most extraordinary. I mean, it's a polemic, really. This book, but he really is saying, "Come on, We're have back a look at
1: what big stats, massive
0: stats." And it's as much as anything else. It's a book about lend lease, which, of course, we've been talking about an awful lot. Yeah, and I think anyone who's been interested in our discussions about lend lease on the podcast, you'd do well to read it because it really does. It really does say how important lend lease. Is to the war, but also how lend-lease turns the Soviet Union into a superpower. The Americans turn themselves and the Soviet Union into superpowers yep. using
1: using yep. lend-lease. And there's, there's well, thing- this happens over. You see, this is why why everyone should be obsessed with the Second World War, yeah. and, and it's why the tentacles <laughs> of that conflict are still being felt today. Because yeah. so much of what you, there was so much focus on just getting to the war one, yeah, and. and Taking these terrible decisions and and making these incredible compromises that would get you through it. Yeah. You know, whether it be plastering your fields with awful fertilizers or whether it be sending lots of trucks and stuff and and four billion miles of of telegraph wire to the Soviet Union. The consequences are gonna come and back and bite you at some point. Yeah. And they do, and they have. Yeah. And they're still being felt. But such was the overwhelming need to get this over and done with as quickly as possible that those were kind of sort of kicked into touch. And I think that's what's so, so, you know, that that is one of the reasons why it's so enduringly fascinating. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You see, McMeekin, he sort of suggests that it, that there's kind of a bit more going on in the American establishment than that. You know, that the American establishment is, is full of communists in the, in the thirties. Yeah. And there's lots of communist party members who who are sympathetic to Stalinism. Yeah. You know, as simple as that, and the, and how cynical Stalin and his government are about simply using we- using the West in order to eventually bury the West. I mean, what's amazing? The Americans ship an oil refinery to the Soviets. <laughs> Jesus
1: Christ! This yeah. is
0: the really amazing sh- thing. They ship uranium that's been um, processed. And, al- and aluminium tubes to the Soviets. Why are they sending them, why are they giving them uranium? Well, well, so questions are asked about this. And Harry Hopkins says, look, if we turned down the request, that would have looked suspicious. That would have drawn attention to the stuff in a way that simply handing it over to the Soviets wouldn't have done. And you think, is that right? I mean, really? you also, yeah, well, exactly. And then you've got the whole business of the, of the, um, shipping air cobras to the, the Soviets absolutely love the air cobra, right? They love right. it. They think it's an awesome bit of, bit of kit. So they're shipped to Alaska. And then there's, there's a, so the Soviets are given an airbase in Alaska from where they fly those aircraft into the Soviet Union. No American pilot is allowed to fly. Into the Soviet Union, if he if he does, and you see what happens to the people on the Doolittle raid who end up in the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. they take a prisoner. They're, they're treated as prisoners of war, because because after all, uh, Stalin is trying to keep Japan on side. Uh, even though Japan, you know, so you, you have this extraordinary business that the Americans are fighting two enemies on a global, on a global scale of an expeditionary warfare on an extraordinary scale. And the Soviets are just not interested in helping with Japan. And it's decided the Americans are busting a gut to help the Soviets, doing everything they can to help the Soviets. But the Soviets go, well, we're not going to help you with Japan. That's, that's your business. That's nothing to do with us until Hmm. the end of the war. Where it look where they where Stalin thinks actually I need to be in on the action here, so I can get into Korea and Manchuria and, and yeah. expand. So the, there's a, there's an airbase in Alaska that's a Soviet airbase that's just handed over to the Soviets. What happens in 1945 then? Well, then they're all they're, they're all basically sent packing. I mean, it's just it's just the stuff in it, the stuff in this book. The, mm. the, I mean, this the uranium is the is the truly amazing thing.
1: I'd never heard of that. I've got to say that's that's just, I'm, I'm a bit dumbfounded by that. Oh, well, exactly.
0: Exactly. It had been penetrated, the Manhattan Project, by the Soviets. So the Soviets know perfectly well what this stuff is and what it's for, don't they? So the so, so
1: Americans had just said no? They could have just said no. Because the Russians are perfectly capable of saying no whenever, they, whenever it seats them, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'll just, I've just found it. I'll read
0: it to you. Perhaps the most shocking lend-lease requisition of all was the one placed on the February the 1st, 1943 for enriched uranium, which helped kickstart the Soviet atomic bomb program. By the war's end, the United States had shipped to Stalin in at least three known installments, three quarters of a tonne of uranium, 235, 1,100 grams of deuterium oxide, heavy water, 835,000 pounds of cadmium, used to control the intensity of an atomic pile, £25,000 of thorium, and £13.8 million of refined aluminium tubes of the kind used to cook uranium into plutonium. According to the Lend-Lease Air Liaison Officer stationed in Great Falls, Major George Racy Jordan, Harry Hopkins phoned him personally in April 1943, was the first of these sensitive packages was being prepared for Stalin, to request that he expedite a certain shipment of chemicals to the Soviet Union, something very special. It is not to go on the records, Hopkins told Jordan. Don't make a big production of it, but just send it through quietly in a hurry. So when he was when Jordan says why, he says, We don't want to call attention to the material by refusing it, is what Hopkins says. A refusal to ship uranium or heavy water might have. Been more informative to the Russians than any help they could derive from the small quantities of material requested. Isn't that absolutely
1: extraordinary? Yeah, it really, really is, and bizarre, and 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 actually, I'm, I'm not sure Hopkins is right on that one. No, I don't think he's wrong at all. But but he Holy would moly. he would say he
0: would say anything. You know, lend-lease covers anything to help our um, allies.
1: You know. Well, this goes back to my, but this goes back to my point exactly. Yeah, anything, you're taking you're taking war You're taking short-term decisions. Your, your, your whole view is short-termism. Yeah, yeah.
0: Or short basically says, you know, the whole idea of Lend-Lease is that, you know, you give it to your ally to the point where they're going to be able to win. And he says, well, that's mid-43. So why are the Americans carrying on 45, 46? And it is yeah, like you say. Okay. It's, to, it's to get the war won, to get it over with. Anything anything that will help. I, I, I mean, it's fascinating. You know, you get crab fishermen on the American West Coast who are complaining because the Soviets are allowed to fish for crab off the American West Coast are out and are basically fishing their, uh, fishing them out.
1: That's amazing, isn't it? That's absolutely amazing.
0: There's a butter ration at one point. What in the States? Yeah. And the, and the, then these people say, well, this is because the Soviets need butter. And you've got American, you know, American housewives going, okay, fine. I, I'm happy to help them, but why am I short of butter? And they yeah. say it's, oh,
1: it's for convalescing Russian soldiers who have been injured. Although to be fair, you can't really get butter in America anymore. No, I know There's, you get that sort of weird, weird white stuff. Yeah, white stuff yeah. that's yeah
0: looks like foam. Yeah, the Red Army. Americans were told at the beginning of October 43 had specially requested butter for use in military hospitals for the consumption of recuperating wounded soldiers.
1: It's just it's that, that, it's unbelievable, isn't it? They've—they've they've got themselves into a situation where they just so like whatever they want, just give it to them. Yeah, exactly, and that's exactly it. And, and actually, it needed some calm heads and people just going, "Oh, well, well, hang on a minute, yeah. these are commies, you know? These yeah. are this is these are completely ideologically opposed to us." And- well, but but it's also it's if you want it's the it, it is arguably the perfect
0: extension of steel not flesh that you're going to fight to the last Soviet. You're going to equip them. And you know, what then comes into this after all is how casualty intensive their way of fighting is. And it comes back to that sort of the what if I always think because if they'd been better at it, where would they have got to by the Christmas of 1944? If they'd been, if they'd been concerned with their men's lives and had been, you know, less concerned with pushing on with mass and been basically more tactically efficient is sort of what I'm saying. You know what I mean?
1: yeah although i've got to say it's pretty oh my god i mean all the stuff i'm doing in italy at the moment i mean <laughs> that's one place you don't want to be if i always i thought normandy was bad and all the rest of it and the sherwood rangers jesus fighting in those mountains it's just absolutely horrific absolutely horrific where are you up to with the book for those um who well i'm a long way through i've got i've got a hand in on the 17th of march i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna make that um but but it's 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 you know i'm pounding the keyboards that's for sure but but <laughs> But it's just, I just, it's so miserable, the kind of, you know, how awful it is for the poor old infantry and this sort of leveling of the playing field. You know, the whole, the whole allied way of war, as we've talked about, Adfinitum is about steel, not flesh, about, you know, harnessing their technology and all the rest yeah. of it. But you just can't do that in winter. And, and it suddenly occurred to me the other day, and I think I sent you a little, little bit, but um, it's, you know exactly those lessons were being learned in Tunisia which had been completely forgotten by the time Italy was being planned in the summer of 1943 because suddenly (laughs) they'd had this great success in kind of you know late April May 1943 in Tunisia and it was all fine yeah you know then they got Sicily it's hot and it's all fine and they can bring their aircraft to bear and all the rest of it and you know so that's when they're planning the Italian campaign and then suddenly you know these these two considerations which everyone seems to have forgotten about is one, what happens if the Germans decide to fight south of Rome? Mm-hmm. And secondly, what happens if it's a really bad winter in these mountains? And so all the all the kind of, you know, because what they've forgotten is that in the winter of 1942-43, the Tunisia campaign dragged on way longer than anyone had imagined it was yes. going to, Yeah, A, because the Germans decided to stand and fight, and B, because of the winter, and C, because it was lots of rivers and mountains and hills and all the rest of it. But but all the problems they face in Tunisia in the winter of 1942 43 are times a thousand by the time you yeah. get to get to Italy because yeah. the mountains are higher, there's more rivers, kind of you know there's more Germans, and the Germans decide to stand and fight in a way that they don't in, in even in Tunisia, and so all those problems come back again, and it's just this leveling of the playing field. You know, it's all very well sort of going and saying, well, we've got massive artillery fire and we've got lots of tactical air forces that compound them, but if you've got ten times cloud those air force are, they're, they're literally not doing anything they they they're not contributing a, a dime to your to your your battle well and if
0: if you've got challenging terrain with crappy roads big rivers and all that you can't bring oh, your guns
1: up no all that and just yes and there's a whole sort of you know there's a, there's at one point there's a, there's a company that has to stay behind to be on mud duty for the artillery mud duty well, basically, yes. So to get, help get the artillery out, in and out of the mud, yeah. So they can't then be at the front because they've got to help the manoeuvre the artillery because the artillery can't do it on its own. Yeah, you know. So it's just this incredible level, you know. This, this, and also this idea that yeah, okay, the Germans have more divisions, but they're they're really on demand compared to the Allies. It's just absolutely nonsense, right? You know, because because after the first Battle of Camino, for example, which is in the kind of first half of November 1943 the 56th division are the ones who are hammering away against this enormous peak. I mean, you know, Camino is a kind of 3000 plus foot yeah. mountain. It's huge. And it's the 201st guards brigade. So, you know, three battalions of guards who have got to take this. And of course, you've got to you've got to go up a hit up a mountain. Yeah. Which is already held by the enemy. Yeah. Where they can be dug in, you know, and, and find all the little Best gullies best, and spots and, and all that. Best yeah. spots and all the rest of it, and the bit behind the rock that no one can see. Yeah, they can see you coming because there's hardly any veget. You know, there's just brush and stuff on the lower slopes of the of the mountains. And you've been in action since the start of Salerno, and you've had literally zero replacements. Yeah. So your companies are not 130 men. They're now kind of you know 70, 65. Yeah. So you're having to do something that's harder with less. It's exactly the same thing that the, you know, the Germans have to put up with. But because Italy is underfunded, because there isn't enough shipping, and one of the reasons there isn't enough shipping goes back to the miscalculations of how long Tunisia is going to take the previous year. Yeah, Your ability to replenish those troops is really, really low. Because suddenly Italy is not the top priority. It's the Pacific and the Far East and, of course, primarily Brit- Britain and the build-up for, for Normandy. So if you're in the, you know, the, the catalogue of casualties is just, it's just, it's unbelievable, and and even when they're not really in kind of sort of, you know, absolutely major attacks, this sort of chip, chip, chip all the time of frontline infantry and rifle, rifle companies and stuff and rifle platoons is just. It's just relentless. It's yeah. absolutely relentless. Yeah, and in nineteen forty three, it's happening on both sides of the, of Italy. It's happening on the Adriatic side, and it's happening on the and and it's almost just ah, oh, just one more push, one more push. And they do this really dangerous thing at Salerno, where the reason you have a brigade with three battalions is so that you can have one up and one reserve, so you've always you always can maintain your balance. You can reinforce when you need to. You've got a little bit of leg room, a bit of wiggle room, and all the rest yeah. of it. But at Salerno, for the first time, when the Germans are doing that major counterattack. They put all three battalions in the line, so there is nothing left. Right. And once as a commander, you've done it once. It's just that little bit easier to do it again a second time. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, but, you know, we did it at Salerno. Yeah, but yeah. that was, yeah, but, you know, just one more push and you'll get up that mountain. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, and off you go again. Wait for the mules to come in. You know, and the, the very fact that they're using mules, it just tells you that this is this is not going terribly well. God, how intru- I mean- and, and all the disappointments. So, you know, you, you know, it, it, it's just, it's not Dick McCreary's fault, commander of 10, 10 Corps, yeah. that the, the 56th Division and the 201st Guards Brigade have run out of steam. You know, no. it's not Mark, Clark, you know, Mark Clark has this, this really difficult meeting with McCreary when McCreary just goes, look, I just i can't ask any more of these guys they're they're, they're, they're spent they're absolutely yeah. exhausted the, the numbers of officer casualties and ncas has just been absolutely legion we've got no repra- we have got no replacements coming in you know they're going to get wiped out if we keep going i just i just can't get them to get they're not not going to get up camino this time around and clark is really gutted because you know thinks god you know we have the whole point is to be kind of freaking in rome before christmas that's Everyone's been saying that, you know. That's yeah. just ringing in my ears. Rome before Christmas, yeah. Rome before Christmas, and they're, and they're just not going to get. It. So he's really gutted about it. But it's not his fault either. I mean, you know, Clark hasn't really put a foot wrong up to that point. I don't think. I mean, you know, I think he's 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 been handed a, a a poison chalice, a really tough hand. Yeah. You know, and all things considered, when you consider the opposition, you consider the weather, you consider what's going on, he's yeah. actually done pretty well, really. And it's not Alexander's fault either. You know, he's, yeah. he's army commander, but all the, all the the failings of Italy, Italy, or the shortcomings of the Italian campaign yeah. are not learning the lessons from before and not giving it enough to do what needed to be done. Yeah, you know, going from this this very very material heavy approach, which has characterised everything from August 1942 onwards, to a completely different way of fighting war, which is budget war, mm. and that doesn't work. And it particularly doesn't work in winter. (laughs) The the old traditional campaigning seasons. And you know, it's no coincidence that the Allies suddenly kind of surge ahead in May 1944 because suddenly it's summer again and you know, it stopped raining. Everything's dried out and you can use your air power and you You can maneuver. Yeah. 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 Totally different ball game but in in the winter it's a level playing field and the uh, it's a level playing field in terms of troop numbers in terms of what they got the only difference is that the allies have more guns than the Germans do but the Germans have a massive advantage in that they're defending and not attacking and, and in in terrain that's really really easy to defend it. It's, so. everything about that just says defend me yeah. everything about that terrain says don't attack yeah yeah, yeah it, it's just, it's just absolutely brutal and the, and the endless diary descriptions of kind of wading across rivers in the middle of the night up to your chest in icy water. And then, you know, on the other side, it's not like, okay, boys, have a have a little bit of rub down, you know, get your towels on, you know, get the thermo kind of toweling jackets on with, you know, metal, you know, aluminium foil on the inside. None of that. Right, now go and take that hill with the Germans on top. You know, it's just horrific. Absolutely horrific. And endless, endless, endless mines everywhere they go. And of course, mines are a defensive thing not an aggressive thing so the allies aren't laying any mines because there's no they're going forward but everywhere they go there's mines every every conceivable crossing point booby traps you know the germans are even booby trapping the dead so after the battle
0: come over pick up a dead soldier boom yeah he's got a he's got a grenade under him or something because it's interesting you say that you know that lessons lessons forgotten are actually the lessons of tunisia they're just not applicable really to the winter in italy and especially, especially in this sort of reduced capacity budget warfare, as you call it, that everything you knew about how things worked in Tunisia is is basically irrelevant. In the same way that then, you know, all, uh, the Allies then cherry pick all their clever people who are sent to then figure out how to invade Normandy, aren't they? Don't they? Who then take all the lessons of Tunisia and Italy to Normandy with them. And they're, those are all wrong as well. You know, that after all, the terrain is so massively important to everything you do terrain and climate. Isn't that where you should start rather than thinking?
1: Although the, the, you know it's all very well, this isn't. There's no time for the, the, too the much. problem is, is is the war. The war, the nature of the war won't yeah. won't allow you to stop for winter. Yeah, you know it can on the eastern front because it's it's of a different extreme altogether. Yeah, but 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 it can't in Europe, and it certainly can't in southern Italy, which is you know still twinkly Mediterranean and olive groves and and you know citrus plantations and all the rest of it. It's just it's just you, you can't do it. You've got to you've got to keep going, and actually they don't. <laughs> they don't need to keep going yeah. at all. Yeah. You know, yeah. they, 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 there's so many things they could do. I mean, I mean, you know, on the eastern side, you know, Monty gets ridiculed because he's too slow and he doesn't get to Biscara and all the rest of it, uh, or not for ages. But you know, he's supposed to be attacking on the 20th of November, okay? And they're supposed to be doing preliminaries before that, getting across the River Sangre, which is this big, sort of you know, wide, gravelly, very shallow, normally river. You know, perfectly fordable by a tank, by a big truck, by men wading across. You know, a couple of feet high, that kind of thing. But then it just rains and, rains and rains and rains and rains and rains and rains and rains. And when they're supposed to attack, the only opposition really is the 65th Infantry Regiment, which is full of poles and checks and you know, hospitalians who aren't really interested. And they're they're really you know, it's low grade division. And there's no question he's going to get they're going to get through. But then it pisses down, uh, absolute torrential rain. For kind of four days in the build-up, so they have to postpone it, so they don't get across. And by the time they do get across, two more divisions have turned up, including the 90th Panzer Grenadier and the 26th Panzer, and then it's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> you know, and suddenly, they, suddenly, you know, it's a week later, it's much stronger. But that, Germans that, have realised what's going to happen. Well, exactly. And so, that- so, so, what would have been a clear breakthrough? Doesn't happen, and that, that that has nothing to do with Montgomery. It's nothing to do with Fifth Corps. It's nothing to do with Seventy Eighth Division. It's nothing to do with Eighth Indian or New Zealanders. It's, it's the weather. nothing to it, it is purely one hundred percent because they're fighting in November at a time of particularly wet wet weather. And it's just tough it, shit. I mean, it's, just it's, bad luck. it's
0: yeah. That also underlines that in the end. um in a peculiar way, the, the defender holds the initiative, doesn't he? Because the other thing about this kind of warfare is, it isn't very the Allied way of warfare. It's not particularly spontaneous. You do have to, like you say, you have to do your preliminaries. It's pretty obvious what you're up to. Um, if you, if you, if you're the Germans and you understand the terrain, and you've also been attacked a fair bit by the Allies, so you've a fair idea of how they go about it and all that sort of stuff. It's always important to remember that that really. You in a peculiar way as the defender, you hold the initiative, because you can decide what to give up at your pace far more than the attacker can decide what to assault at his
1: pace. Because he's got Although although in this particular instance the timing is crucial because this is the moment where Hitler suddenly goes, actually I'm gonna back Cussering, not Rommel. Yeah. Rommel's always been the golden boy. Everyone everyone's assuming that Rommel's gonna be given total in charge of, you know, overall, you know, Supremo in Italy. Yeah. And suddenly, Hitler, on the 24th of October, calls in and goes, actually, I'm kind of coming to your way of thinking. Actually, Rommel can go off and look at the Atlantic Wall. Um, I'm now going to give all of Italy to you. So suddenly that frees up all the, all the units that were in Army Group B under Rommel yeah. in the north, which Rommel wasn't sending south. Yeah. Now, Kesselring can do them in every, any way he wants. So suddenly he's sending all these troops, all these divisions down. Just at the very moment where the yeah. Allies are starting to get reinforced as well. Yeah. So rather than suddenly the Allied reinforcements suddenly go, working to their benefit, it's a, it's happening at exactly the same moment that the Germans are reinforcing. Yeah. So it's 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 kind of... They're cancelling itself out. It's cancelling yeah. itself out, exactly. Yeah. And so those divisions which are arriving from the north, well, 90th, comes from Corsica. <laughs> you know, they've decided to abandon Corsica and Sardinia, which on one thing is good news for Allied air forces there's a payback for that which is the troops that were on sardinia and corsica and now can be used elsewhere and they can be used (laughs) (laughs) you know against montgomery's attack towards pescara so it doesn't doesn't happen it's just it's just incredible yeah but who knew all this stuff i mean you know this is this is the hidden italian campaign that no one knows about because everyone always just writes about casino well i'll tell you what let's we'll take a
0: quick break and then we'll talk about the other aspect yes hidden aspect of the italian campaign we'll see you in a tick.
1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only
0: one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy
1: gem of a detour. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different?
0: Welcome back to We Have Ways You're Making Your Talk with me, I'm and James Holland. Now, you just said there's this hidden aspect to the Italian campaign, you know, which is which is the I mean, after all, you know, uh uh you, you, you do always have to think in terms of if you're responding to one thing you can't respond to another, if you see what I mean. Because so yeah. after all, the the the, the Kursk is all, Kursk has happened by this point. Yes. And so the Germans are the Germans are figuring out where they stand on the eastern front. We're going into the winter, so so it's a it's a different set of circumstances. But after all, the Germans are forever doing this thing of moving one lot of people to another place, um, and in a peculiar way, the Allies are doing that too um, from mm-hmm. Italy. But the thing I'd, I think I think we ought to talk about is the Italian experience here, because after all, what we've done is we've talked about this campaign as though Italy is empty. Yeah, <laughs> it's an empty set of geographical features of rivers and mountains, rather than you know. Uh, uh, not a not a modern country but a pretty densely populated 44 million yeah so if you're italian and oh, the- it's
1: just it's just it's just horrendous it's absolutely horrific it's just it's really it's so upsetting the whole thing it's just it's just i i, I found it all really really hard actually and particularly when you know what's going on in ukraine at the moment because yeah. it's it's basically the same thing you know if you're if you live in a village or a town where suddenly more kind of you know the, the typhoon of 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 war sweeps in you're just absolutely stuffed and it's horrendous i mean i've been i've been following a lot of italians and you know just before we before we, we start recording i was telling about the you know the sherman tank going through the house in castel frontano the New Zealanders are, um, working in cahoots with the 4th Armored Brigade and there's, 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 um, 24th, um, New Zealand Battalion are moving into this town called Castel And, um, it's the beginning of December 1943. And, and it's yet another town perched on a hill with a church at the top, you yeah. know, dominating the flock, so to speak. And the access point is like a fish hook. So it's, it's, a, it's Route 84 that goes north from the sort of northwards and it curves round to the east. Like a big fish hook. And it crosses the railway line and then it goes goes sort of diagonally up, a, up the ridge on which Castor Frentano sits. And so the tanks and the infantry going up are, are covered. And then as you go into town, there's like a 90-degree turn. And the lead Sherman tank starts inching around the corner, and suddenly it's like wham! And this anti-tank round just hits the wall just above it and carries on screaming because it's solid shot, screams on down the kind of down the hill. So the Sherman, being a Sherman, can do it very quickly, suddenly hurtles backwards. The commander gets out and has a look, and what they realise is that there's an alleyway behind this house is on the corner, running at an angle. So they can go down this alleyway and come in behind the anti-tank gun, which is in the in the street, blocking the street. And obviously they're not going to go around the corner because they're just going to get knocked out by this anti-tank gun. So the Sherman commander closes the hatches, they all get into the tank, and just go, basically just go straight through the house and into this alleyway, job done. <laughs> And then two other Shermans then follow. Yeah. Until my guy I'm following, Roger Smith, who's in the twenty A Company of the 24th Battalion of the New Zealand, 2nd New Zealand Division, turns around and sees this family watching this. And the woman is is has got her head on the shoulder of the man with a shawl over her mouth, absolutely gasped. The three children are clinging to their legs. And it's their house. And it's just been completely destroyed. Now they're all right because they're they're still alive, but they're not all right because that's their house. You know, there's no there's no kind of you know NFU home insurance in 1943. So they're absolutely stuffed. And it's this. You might be lucky. You might be in a town where it just passes by and nothing really happens. But you might be unlucky, in which case you know it's 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 an absolute horror story. Yeah. You know the people in 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 San Pietro that we've talked about before you know the whole village is destroyed but after afterwards the Americans come in you know the the people emerge from their caves and all the rest of it they're trying to kind of make sense of what they can you know and and one of the people I'm following then loses a leg on a mine oh God, and that's good night Charlie for her. Oh god. You know, so the front line has moved, you know, she's now on the side of of the good in inverted commas. Yeah. But the the scale of destruction is just is just unbelievable. The famine that is imposed on the Italians in southern Italy is just appalling. The decisions they have to make, the the, the struggle for survival against all this mayhem. And then you've got all the monks in the monastery who who are just totally ill-equipped to be making judgments on what they should do because they live in this entirely artificial bubble well it's not artificial it's a very real bubble but they live in a bubble which is completely removed from the normal world in which you know what do they know of germans and war and shelling yeah. and, and all yeah. the rest of it so so they they're just constantly having to make these awful decisions about you know do we evacuate do we not evacuate do we get rid of our treasures do we entrust our treasures to the germans how can we trust them but how can we how can we not you know but then what happens if the monastery is destroyed but someone's saying it won't be destroyed because it's a holy place but how can we trust them you know and they just they don't know what to do, and they're stuck no. there on this mountain. And they can see the kind of, you know, it's like the the, the orc hordes coming towards yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, you know, and they just don't know what to do. And it's yeah, and it's pathetic in the true sense of the world. It's, it's it's tragic, you know, because it's you know it's, it's like the whole world has just been turned upside down. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, and after all, you become a, you become a monk to avoid the world,
1: don't you? To escape from the world. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they just, and it's, and it's just awful. The kind of the, the compromises they have to make and the decisions they have to make and the, and the terrible decisions. And, and, mm. you know, one cannot help, but, but think, crikey, if that was me in this situation, you know, how do you know what's to do for the best? You you can't, yeah. you've just got to make a call and it's a, and it's sometimes a very difficult one. Yeah.
0: Is this very much going to be a thrust of the book then that you're, the, the, the Italian experience has to sit central to it, really?
1: Yeah, 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 completely. Because
0: after yeah, all, they're not. Yeah. I mean, are they being liberated?
1: <laughs> well, the- this is a this is this is a whole point, and I'm I'm sort of you know constantly kind of sort of building up towards that. Uh, uh, and obviously, I think actually, I think the pinnacle really is less the destruction of the monastery and more the destruction of Casino Town, which is just oh god, the battle for Casino Town is just. It's Stalingrad. I mean, you know, it's it's the same thing. It's it's you know, it's the rats. It's a it's this total desolation. It's this just this this apocalyptic vision that descends onto this little corner of of of, of Italy, and it's just it's it's truly horrendous. So um, so yeah, no, the the, the Italian experience is 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 absolutely first and foremost. And you know, I, I, we were talking about this the other day. Who were we talking with about, about kind of you know um. Military historian versus war historian. I, I really don't like the term military historian. This, this, is, this book is not a book about military history. This is a book about war and what happens when it's fought over a highly populated country. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. we're going to talk something a little bit lighter. Well, we, well, potatoes.
0: Potatoes. There is no
1: vegetable
0: more useful than the homely potato potatoes are a cheap source of energy and they are one of the foods that help to protect us from illness they contain the same vitamin as origins oranges and three quarters of a pound of potatoes daily will give over half the amount of vitamin needed to prevent fatigue and help fight
1: infection did you know all that jim <laughs> i didn't i mean so i can eat crisps with a bit more exactly uh, freedom with, now. <laughs> more importantly though
0: potatoes save shipping Yes. yes, because what we have here, we, we we've got a ton of government food advice uh, leaflets from the Ministry of Food, telling you how to, you know, how to how to use your ration and 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 what what to use and uh, uh, you know, hints on cooking potatoes. Always cook them in their skins. If you must peel them, peel thinly. After peeling, cook at once. Avoid soaking in water if possible. I'll have to tell my mum that. Um, the. the- <laughs> <laughs> She's been getting that wrong. These leaflets are absolutely fascinating. Cheaper cuts of meat, meat dishes to save your pocket. And um, there's absolutely everything you need on the cheaper cuts of meat leaflet from the Ministry but, but, of Food. But,
1: but there's, a, there's a reason we're looking at all this, isn't it? Because because yeah. we came up with the idea, which, <laughs> which I'm still feeling <laughs> a little bit. So... so In my house, everyone's going. You're never going to do it. You're never going to do it. You're never going to do it. And you know, Rachel keeps sort of going. Oh, I'm going to make a nice creamy carbonara on Friday. Oh (laughs) no, well you can't have it, can you, Jim? And all this kind of stuff. So the idea is to do the wartime ration diet. Yes, I feel that you know over the winter have kind of put on a few pounds. You know munching yeah. few too many chocolate biscuits to get me through the horrors of the Italian campaign and all yeah. the rest of it. Yeah. And so that what I need, you know, preparation for the cricket season is a, is a, is a bit of sort of, you know, trimming down and, yeah. you know, losing a few pounds and, getting rid of the love handles and all that. Yeah. of it. And, yeah. and so I thought, well, what, you know, what, what about doing a, a wartime diet? So we've been looking into this. Actually, the whole thing is really interesting because, you know, they were going to do Start Rationing in 1939, but then they just found that, you know, everything else that was going on, um, it, it was maybe a kind of thing too much, you know, what was sort of yeah. curfews and blackouts and all the rest yeah. of it. They didn't want to kind of sort of push their luck on overreach. It, so they Overreach, yeah. Overreach, yeah, so they didn't. But what they did do is they, they issued in in September 1939, they issued the Grow More Bulletin Number 1. Right. Okay, to, to encourage people to grow more. Uh, and it was produced in collaboration with the Ministry of Agriculture, but also the Royal Horticultural Society. <laughs> right. It was, it was published in a bit of a hurry and it hadn't had a good enough proof read. So, so for example, it said it recommended three inches instead of three feet spacing between planting of marrows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really funny. But, but it wasn't until. 1940 that the catchy mm. dig for victory line stuff came started yeah and, and by that time you know rationing had started in january and it came with a big photograph of 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 the sturdy booted foot of mr mm. w h mckee of acton in west london you know putting his foot on a on a spade on a fork or whatever you know it's that famous picture yeah uh, and and everyone really Really got into it and all these pamphlets started coming out and the ways you, you know, where you could dig up your garden and all the rest of it. And of course, your Anderson shelter was Mm. supposed to have 15 inches of soil on the top of it, um, which you buried, you know, which you built at the bottom of the garden. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And in 15 inches of soil, you can, you can grow all sorts of things, tomatoes, sweet peas, you know, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, these, these leaflets are quite brilliant though. Um, if anyone needs a recipe for, uh, brains, yeah. brains on brains on toast wash the brains well in salted water tie in muslin and boil in salt water for about 10 minutes cut into neat pieces put on toast and cover with parsley sauce or mustard sauce to which a dash of vinegar has been added enough for four there we go that's yeah really delicious and there's a there's a recipe for sheep's head broth yeah uh, i don't know if you're up for that uh baked stuffed sheep's heart yeah um, mix ingredients of stuffing together in a base of wash hearts, thoroughly cutting away pipes and flaps. I I mean, mean, absolutely
1: delish. uh, (laughs) As my mum would say,
0: (laughs) there was an article in, I think today's times or yesterday's Sunday times. I'm not sure about, you know, the the solution to climate change is uh, rationing. That the way you beat climate change would be, would be with rationing. So from some think tank and you sort of think, well, well, good luck with that, first of all, get persuading people of that. But it went mm-hmm. on, this think tank went on about how, you know, uh, rationing was all because of, uh, 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 was a response to scarcity. And the thing is, is that's not the case. No. Um, it, it, it's Bad history it's, from the Times. Really bad history from the Times. It's about um, shipping, it's space. A, shipping space. Yeah. Yeah. This is the article, how to fix global warming, bring back rationing a science reporter Second World War style rationing of petrol household energy and meat could help fight climate change British scientists have recommended you know blah 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 blah, making a comparison with the need to limit the consumption of certain goods as they grew scarce during the war Um, researchers noted that the idea of achieving this by increasing taxes was rejected in the 1940s because the impact of tax rises would be slow and inequitable so rationing I mean, they they actually say as long as there was as long as there was scarcity, rationing was accepted, even welcomed or demanded. It wasn't scarcity that it was a it was a war on. <laughs> That's why people accepted rationing, not because
1: sixty percent of people in the middle of the war thought rationing was a good a good thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: still forty percent didn't.
0: Yeah, I know. Well, there you go. Well, well, there you go. And that's a more interesting statistic, is the forty percent. But, but it's
1: but it's interesting how they go about about selling it. This, it. You know, there is this idea that we're all in it together. This sort of camaraderie of, of, yeah. of privations. You know, so they have you know there's pig clubs for example, six thousand nine hundred yeah. pig clubs through the through the country. Yeah, you know where people you know there were pig bins in London. Did you know that? I did not know that. So any scraps you could put in for pigs. You know, and it was reckoned that, that just on allotments alone people were producing ten percent of the nation's food. hell. Just amazing. on allotments. Amazing. Yeah, really amazing. But you need pigs because you're not getting your
0: bacon from Denmark anymore. That's correct. The, this is the thing to remember. that the, If there's scarcity, it's because there's a war on. It's not scarcity because there's scarcity and things things need to be controlled. It's cause there's a war it's because there's a war on. So when you read an article in the paper going, oh rationing's due to
1: No, it's not. It's about it's about shipping it's about shipping but it's also about making sure that everyone gets enough yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and everyone gets a balanced diet and, and we, you know we've, we've discussed this briefly before haven't you but the whole point of rationing is to make sure that everyone has a healthy a healthy diet yeah. a balanced yeah. diet if you get a balanced healthy diet then you have less people off the sick yeah being sick which means your productivity goes up and so yeah. what you do is you work out you're going okay right well you know they're doing manual labor so they need a little bit more so they get their rations are higher than those who are not doing manual labor yeah, I mean, it's yeah, all it's all brilliantly worked out. I mean, it's yeah. it's 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 very clever, and at the same time, there's lots of things that aren't rationed. So bread is never isn't rationed until after the war, as it happens. Yeah, um, and there's all sorts of things that aren't rationed, and there are all these bulletins and and pamphlets that are sent out on how you can eke out more food for, for less. You know, yeah. of course, it makes food less tasty; it makes it less interesting. But there are also certain things which are which are also never rationed. I mean get, get, you know what does everyone do in the in the 1940s which you're not allowed to do anymore or don't do very much anymore. You know everyone smokes. Tobacco is never rationed. And actually it's included on Lend-Lease. So it's not just the Russians getting uranium, it's the British getting Virginia getting roll leaf. Yeah. yeah. And, and and beer isn't rationed either. It's watered down, but it's not rationed. But, you know, the bottom line is is the amount of food imports is reduced from 22 million tonnes before the war to 11 million by 1944. So it's halved. And also a lot of the food is, um, uh, you know, if if meat is brought over from from the Argentine or whatever, it's generally done boneless and dehydrated. Because they work out, the boffins work out, that we're shipping 3 million tonnes of water a year just in food. In food. So, tin food is also dropped. Don't get any more of that. Yeah. Although, spam is being sent to the Soviet
0: Union in lots of different um, Soviet flavours. So, I mean... Well, there the, you go. There you go. Because that, that, that's where so, that's So, going. rationing
1: comes in on the January the 8th, 1940. Yeah. And you get your ration book. And what you have to do is you then have to allocate your shop that you're going to use your ration book with. And what mm. lots of people did was they had different people in the family would have... Would allocate their ration book to a different shop so that you could get yeah. more variety yeah. and, and spread it, but you also got this there was also this point system, which I think is really really interesting, yeah, so you got whatever whatever it was twenty four points a month, I think it was, and certain certain luxury goods in inverted commas <laughs> would be worth points, so you know a can of baked beans for example, would be two points or something, but a nice bit of kind of beef brisket would be twenty points. But you could, you would always spend those points on something. But you could either sort of blow them in one one splurge on something nice, or you could sort of spin it out. Best red salmon,
0: thirty two points. Right. Yep. Yep. Rolled oats, two points. Stewed steak, twenty points. I mean, but so basically, it's proteins that are that are on your high score. Salmon itself, sixteen points um current it's interesting Currants. so it's fruit it's fruit and protein everything else
1: you know you're, you're yep. all right really aren't you uh, it, so, so what, what do you what do you reckon were the first first four items to be rationed um i'd go bacon yep and ham that's two and ham and oh then probably beef no go on sugar po- and butter Oh, of course sugar butter bacon and ham so we could do the 1940 diet or we could do a little bit bit feather on a bit bit of cover i mean i, th- I was sort of think about this because because rachel was saying to me how are you going to survive without butter you, you know you absolutely love butter <laughs> i said well i'll just do flora for a bit you know that's all right i <laughs> think i mean i think you've got to adapt yeah. if you're going to do a 1940 yeah, diet you've got yeah, yeah, to adapt yeah. yes. it i'm not you know i'm not going to do margarine anyway margarine was 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 also um what i'm going to do is i'm going to cut out sugar i'm just not going to have sugar
0: yeah well i don't really have very much sugar anyway
1: so, well, I do. Um, I've got really sweet teeth. So I'm, oh, I'm, well, I'm well, going to find go. that quite tough. I want you know, I, I needed to hurt a little bit. And
0: it's interesting, though, that herrings on this points per pound per tin or per tin are, are, two, are two points, They're the same as baked beans or dried dis- biscuits and sardines. Because fish is available, isn't it? Yes. Because um, uh, fish, fishing continues. There's so much more to this than simply the idea that stuff was scarce, therefore it was rationed. It's yes. so much more subtle than it's so much more subtle than that. So much uh, uh, not flexible isn't the word. It's the fact that it. Ca- I mean, really, I think the I think the reason people remember that there's a bigger memory of rationing than maybe that you might expect is that yeah. it carried on. Is it continued after the war? And had it been had it been limited to the war, it, I don't think it would been. I don't think it would have attracted half the attention it does in commentary it was it became hugely political after the war didn't it yeah the fact that the fact that that there was still a petrol ration
1: well into the 50s yeah and a meat ration until 1954 i think it was exactly exactly so you know that's why my mother who and again that was all about imports and exports wasn't it? well
0: exactly but that's why my mother who was you know was five when the war ended remembers no bananas because there was still there was still no bananas a lot later
1: Yeah. I think I assume. Yes, we have no bananas. I can't speak
0: further. Exactly. Yes, we have no bananas. I mean, it's, 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 but it, it's, it is interesting because it's, it's always painted as this product. It's a product of scarcity
1: and it, and it, and it isn't. It's a management question. Yeah. No, it, it is absolutely a management question. But if you want to kind of, um, do what we're planning to do, and and go on a world, a Second World War ration, of a, Brit- a British Second World War ration. Well,
0: here's your minimum weekly allowance for one adult. Yeah, Here well, we I think we
1: should go through this.
0: That's all right. Bacon and ham, four ounces. So, yep, that's, that's okay. That. Meat to the value of one shilling, which is two pound fifty. That's right. Butter, two ounces. That's not good. Yeah. Cheese, one ounce. Yeah. That's basically basically no cheese. Margarine, four ounces. Don't want it anyway. No. Cooking fat, two. Yeah. Three pints of milk. Can live with that? Yeah. That's the one I look at and I go, yeah, that's all right. Um, sugar, eight ounces. That's right. Tea, two ounces. Yeah, I'm going to struggle on that.
1: Yeah. Eggs, one. Since this is a diet, I'm actually just going to ignore the tea bit. Yeah, okay. You can't get fat on tea, can you? No, you can't. Are you a bit
0: careful with that milk. Um, uh, yeah, I know, so but I've got three pints. It's one egg or one packet of dried egg equivalent to twelve eggs every two months. There's that that eggs. That's that's hard. The
1: eggs. No, because so eggs. Eggs. So I live in the country. I can get as many eggs as I like. Well, exactly. So that's people I'm ignoring with, that one. That's people with chickens in their backyards anyway. So I think so, basically what you've got to do is 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 right back on meat. No butter, really. No yeah. sugar. That's about it, really. isn't it. Yeah. Really. Really. And it's you, all right. you seasonal vegetables it's got to be seasonable, seasonable, lots of, seasonal seasonal veg,
0: vegetables lots of fruit and if you're vegetarian you're allowed an extra three
1: ounces of can't cheese. have exotic fruit you can have as many apples as you like
0: yeah you're allowed an extra three ounces of cheese instead of meat and an extra egg per week if you're vegetarian so that's two eggs and, and then you've got a the point system yeah and then your
1: points yeah so yeah I can't, How many? we're using 16 points a month yeah so baked beans two dry biscuits two sweet biscuits four herrings two spam 16 lentils they're not That's only you two Go points. a long way
0: with all those lentils yeah exactly
1: yeah so you'll have four points a week basically yeah see so stewed steak that's 20 yeah so that's that's yeah that's
0: out of reach but that but then that's a family pooling its points so yeah. if there's four or five of you you can get your stewed steak yeah for the month uh, yeah. with everything else i I it's, I it's fascinating i mean there's a food the Points news uh, period number one in the new books, July twenty first to August seventeenth. Total number of points for each ration book has increased to thirty two. I don't know what year that is. We've got we've got an example of, a,
1: point, the, of a, the point system comes in December nineteen forty one.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they shift it as as is evident there. Yeah, I have to do some persuading to get anyone else in this house to do this. Uh, oh, I
1: don't think anyone's going to do it in my house. I, I think I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give it my best shot. I definitely am. I've, I'm going to – I'm certainly in sugar, biscuits out, butter out. Yeah. You know, it's only 40 days. I've got cricket season to get ready for.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've at least um, stood this up as a, an idea, the rationing thing. We'll post some of that on the – I think we'll post that on the Patreon, won't we? In fact, with this podcast, we'll add the link for the because – there is an experiment, a, a website – a rationing experiment website that we'll put we'll put up and you can have a look for yourself. Because it might be that it might be that you want to have a go. It might be it might be that you're not <laughs> interested. Take <laughs> one look at it and go, okay, I'm yeah, exactly. interested in a
1: war, but not that yeah, I interested. Mean,
0: I mean my whole a whole ration in one sitting at Nando's. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a bit piri-piri. Off you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's all gone to right. pot. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. We will see you all again very soon. Uh, Tons to come on Thursdays, um, our usual stuff on Tuesdays. um, And I think Family Stories is going to be back fairly shortly.
1: Yeah, and USA on Friday.
0: And USA on Friday. We'll see you all soon. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Cheers.